I'll have what she's having. I think growing up in the 70s, 60s, and 70s sounds amazing. Hello. This is the Our Better Half podcast about sex over 50. Yes, there is sex in the second half of life, and even this notorious old prude, Laura Listermensch, is talking about it. It's September 4th, 2016, and I, for a change of pace, am recording outside in the refreshing wind following Hurricane Hermine. And I'm going to introduce you today to Ashley Mader who will tell us about the only professional organization in the world whose focus is caring about the sex lives of you, old people. But, fun fact, she's not old enough to listen to this podcast. Before you meet her, I want to say something about us and them. I'm doing this podcast from the perspective of us, but you'll notice I very cleverly never talk about my sex life. And I'm not going to now, so don't drop your knitting. But I do want to note that there are us's and them's involved with talking about almost anything. And as these recent episodes have been about me being an outsider, attending a conference in an entirely new world and community, I went as a them because I was an outsider and a newcomer, but an us because I'm a human with a sex life, as are we all. But here's how I know that the us I was before I started this podcast is now more of a we than before. And it's my ring. My better half gifted me for Valentine's Day with one of those absolutely gorgeous and elegant clitoris rings that I mentioned in one of our first episodes. It goes on your finger, by the way. It's anatomically accurate, but since very few people in the world would recognize the shape of an internal clitoris, I probably could wear it anywhere but I don't. Because if someone asked, I would have a lot of trouble with the conversation it might bring on. And I worry, in my small town, whether people would find it unforgivably vulgar to wear a sex organ in public, in front of children. And frankly, I sort of feel the same way. I'd find it really weird to see someone wearing a penis ring, for example. And I know... Gloria Steinem wears one of these clitoris rings, and they are more of a feminist statement in a response to the shaming of women's sexuality, but still. The truth is, I only wear the ring when I'm taping this podcast. It gives me a superwoman feeling. I plug in the microphone, I put in my headphones, and I put on my clitoris ring, and I'm ready to roll. But, at the recent Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit, well... I just figured it would be my one and only opportunity to wear it among folks who might understand it and enjoy it. And I was right. It was noticed and envied. I was taking it off regularly to let people try it on. And several people told me that they had been planning to buy one but hadn't seen one in person. So it was kind of exciting for me to be the one showing it to them of all people. And one person had actually ordered hers and it hadn't arrived in time for the event. By the way, the artist's name for the rings is Penelope Jones, and there's a link to her site at ourbetterhalf.net on the show notes for episode 30. Anyway, that week at Woodhall, I got used to wearing it outside the house, my little ring, and I realized after one of the many conversations that this little silver-winged ornament started that I definitely may be losing my prude status. 
at my age. I am not certain whether this puts me out of anything or into anything else. But at some point, even Alice must have acclimated to Wonderland, right? Ashley Mader, PhD and licensed social worker, is our guest today. She has a doctorate in human sexuality and a master's in social work. She specializes in older adult sexuality with a special interest in care in senior centers, nursing homes, and assisted living facilities. And she hosts a website called Shine, where, in her words, she promotes a sex-positive approach towards championing sexual health in later life. I was interested to talk with her because she intrigued me. What is a relatively young person in her 30s doing, making a profession of old people and sex? And she's serious, too. This is her passion, and she is actively involved in the community studying and working on the issue of aging and sexuality. I thought you might like to meet her, as I recently did. Hello, Ashley. Hi, Laura. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Well, thank you for having me on here. It is a thrill. We have met in person, but uh, here we are on our phones back at home. And uh, my first question for you is, I know that now you have an interest in aging and and sexuality, but when you were a kid, what did you want to do? Oh, wow. That's... When I was a little kid, I'm not going to lie, I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I think that's pretty basic of all children, especially growing up in a small town in Kansas. I just loved all things furry with four legs and tails. (laughs) So that's what I wanted to do. Um, But obviously that changed. My love for animals did not, but my change from wanting to be a veterinarian did definitely change. Okay. How old are you now? I am 33. So you're a little young for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But uh, tell us about your interest in this topic. So it, it actually started out, it's a very strange progression that I had. I originally wanted to, when I entered college, after I decided I didn't want to be a veterinarian, I wanted to be a clinical child psychologist. So and I love working with children. It, I was getting very burned out. When I started graduate school at Widener University, my I guess my advisor wanted to challenge me and said, hey, I want you to work with older adults because I had worked with in domestic violence shelters. I've worked with children. The only population I hadn't worked with at that point was older adults. And I fell in love with it. And I started, I, I was working at a senior center at the time, running groups. And then gradually, or my second year in graduate school, I was running groups and doing individual therapy and also doing singles workshops and sexuality workshops with older adults and loved it. But weird enough, it it made sense that I fell in love with working with older adults. My parents had me later in life. My mom was 42 and my dad was 47. And I am an only child and I grew up around all my aunts and my grandmothers. And it was just kind of a natural progression that I, I mean, I was, it was already a comfort level that I already had. It just became, it was very natural for me. And I continued to do that through graduate school. And then I wrote my dissertation on how older adults experience their sexuality. I interviewed about 20 older adults about their experience of sexuality. And then when I moved up to New England, I opened up a private practice focusing primarily on older adults and sexuality. 
and started my blog as well. I mean, I feel like this is my calling. Ever since I started this, it's just been an amazing, rewarding experience. A lot of people would, your age, uh, a lot of people going through college, the last thing they want to think right. about is that. Um, because it's the yuck factor. People, that they everyone has that yuck factor. And my thing is is that I want to advocate for a population that one day we will all join. The, with ageism, it's a very weird ism because why are we prejudiced against a population once all going to join? And not only am I advocating for my clients and older adults now, but I'm setting the path for my future as an older adult as well. And I just think that is extremely important. Everyone deserves to have that choice of pleasure and happiness and finding someone. And plus, I love hearing older adults' stories and narratives. I find it so fascinating. I've learned so much from them. Yeah, because we're not just dealing with age here. We're dealing with people having grown up in a different generation, uh, a different way that we talk in public about these things. Mm -hmm. So crazy question. What advantages do you find that people who are old might have in talking about this topic? I think a misconception is that they don't want to talk about it and mm. that they're the, basically like a silent generation. But what I have found out is that they love talking about it and they want to talk about it more. So it helps them because growing up, they weren't able to talk about it. It was a no-no, kind of like sex and finances, can't talk about that. And now they have the opportunity to share their stories and to process what they weren't able to process when they were younger. It's been so helpful for them to see that and be able to grow with that as well, because that you're never too old to grow. Hmm. What do you feel that you're learning from these, these generations ahead of you? Every time I have a client leave me, I just feel so lucky that I got to hear their story. It's just a different way of learning their histories, I think, and the history of the time. I mm -hmm. think that that's what I get the most out of. And I'm not going to lie. There's some jealousy of that because I think growing up in the 70s, 60s, and 70s sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so jealous of some of my clients. I shouldn't say jealous, envy, envious of my clients that have had this amazing experience that I didn't get to have because I grew up post HIV and AIDS. Mm. And so learning that, I think people think that the generations like millennials and my generation were sexless and they didn't know really how to have fun. Like we're the, we're the generation that invented sex and that. <laughs> Definitely not true. They were doing a lot more wild things than I think that we can even imagine growing up in a post-HIV AIDS world. Is that the dividing line? I think it is. So what I found out with a lot of the older adults that I talked to is that it was party, 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 lots of sex, lots of free love in the 70s. And all of a sudden, everything, and this comes from both um, heterosexual and LGBT folks, I've heard this. All of a mm -hmm. sudden, everything came to a screeching halt once HIV and AIDS come up. And mm -hmm. I think that might be the dividing line, the, a huge difference between our generation of basically, I guess, 1980s and above and mm -hmm. 1980s and below. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense. There wasn't that much time between uh, worrying about pregnancy and worrying about HIV AIDS. Right. A lot of the older generation, they had, I mean, when they got married, a lot of them had to have maybe a syphilis 
test, chlamydia or gonorrhea test, but HIV wasn't even thought of. The only thing you really needed to prevent was pregnancy because everything else you could take care of with an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, there was a lot more freedom. Interesting. But I think also, I mean, there's different types of freedom now with the knowledge, but th- there's definitely a change. So you mentioned the aging consortium. Yes. Tell us about that. So the Sexuality and Aging Consortium is based out of Widener University, which is in Chester, Pennsylvania. Geographically, it's near Philadelphia. And it basically is a group of counselors, therapists, educators who work in sexuality and aging, advocating for older adults. So we do numerous things, lots of different conferences. Well, or just workshops around sexuality and aging. So we're just a consortium of a group of people who really have a passion about sexuality and aging and like to share our mission and educate people about it. How many people would you say that are in the consortium? Oh, goodness. It depends. We have a lot of people. We have probably over 800 on our email list, active, active members. There's probably close to about 25 to 50 of active, active members. There's people who are involved and pay like their dues and things like that. That's about probably a hundred. Small. We have only been a consortium for about six years. So it's a very small and very, very new organization. Are there other organizations like it or is it unique? It is the only organization that focuses on sexuality and aging. We have a lot of organizations that focus on sexuality. We have organizations that focus prim- just on aging, but none that focuses on sexuality and aging. And what disciplines would be within that? It's a mixture of everything. We have people who are nurses. We have people, social workers, counselors, psychologists. We have educators. We have medical doctors. I mean, you name it, the profession. We even have lawyers. It's everything about people who helping professionals, whatever that may look like that works with older adults. What's the age range of people who are in that group, would you say? This is what makes me very passionate about the field is that we're getting younger people interested in sexuality and aging. And I think that's so important. I'd say we have people anywhere from 25 to 85. Wow. So we met at the Woodhall Sexual Freedom Summit in Alexandria earlier in August. Mm -hmm. Wonderful event. Tell us about the pre-conference day that you held. This is something else the Sexuality and Aging Consortium does. We do conferences. So we did a pre-conference. It was a Sexuality and Aging Institute that had nine workshops throughout the day focusing on different topics of sexuality and aging. We had topics on making your older adult community, LGBT friendly. We had topics on sexual expression and satisfaction in same-sex and mixed-sex relationships, how to be face-sensitive when working with older adults and sexuality. We had topics on HIV and aging. We had a wonderful one uh, with Joan Price on 25 tips for sexy aging, Mm -hmm. nurturing connection through healthy touch. So we had all types of workshops that were included in different topics, which just made for a very information-rich day. And one of the presentations I know you presented. Yes, yes. Uh, My colleague Jane Fleshman and myself did a 
workshop on the sexual expression and satisfaction on older adults. It was a very interactive workshop, but we presented our dissertation research. Her dissertation research was on same-sex relationships and satisfaction, and mine was on mixed-sex relationships and how they chose to express their sexuality as they were aging. So we made it very interactive, and it was a lot of fun presenting it. So I think the, the participants had a lot of fun as well. I actually attended that one and I thought it was one of the best moments of the whole conference. I thought it was just wonderful. And the the participation of the audience was a big part of that. What I really enjoyed, I did interviews. She did some interviews as well as surveys. And we were able to hear, there was the last part of the session was participants reading quotes from our research participants it was so wonderful to hear their voices, and it, it, I thought it was very powerful. I did too. What were some of the other moments of that day, that aging day? And tell me why you think it's important that we have that. I mean, there were so many wonderful, wonderful workshops. We had our opening plenary was Roberta Green. She did an amazing presentation. It was a question and answer on aging and resiliency, which even though it wasn't directly related to sexuality, I think there it's very important to learn about resiliency and, and aging, and it does very much fit in with our mission. One of the biggest moments was we had our closing plenary was Mandy Carter, and she's just a huge heavyweight in human rights, and she's a great activist, and hearing her talk about it was also another question and answer about her advocacy and her human rights work was very powerful for everyone. She was not only a closing plenary for the Sexuality and Aging Institute itself, but it opened up the entire Woodhall Sexual Freedom Summit and got everyone jazzed about just being there and the mission of Woodhall and the mission of the Sexuality and Aging Consortium. It was just, it was a wonderful experience. There was a lot at the conference itself and on that day about uh, diversity yes. of age, diversity of background, culture. Uh, that seemed to be a real theme. Yes. How did that feel? I think it's really important to talk about diversity. We A lot of times we focus on what we all have in common, but we can learn so much from what, what our differences are. So mm-hmm. whether that be in age, race, sexual orientation, gender – That's when the true learning can start and the true growing can start when we focus on diversity rather than what we have similar to each other. Mm, Good point. So why do you keep at this? So many reasons. I think one of the reasons is just my general passion for it. And from a social work background, advocating for older adults and people who don't have a voice, so basically empowering people it's one of the main things that I want to do. But the other reason, and I mean, and this may sound selfish as well, but I want to pave the road for my aging generation and aging generations that come after me. I want to make it a very accepting place. And I, I want to be able to set the tone for that and have it be more accepting. Because if I'm in a nursing home when I'm 85 and I want to get my groove on, I want to have the proper policies in place in that nursing home to be able to express that. <laughs> and I want other people to have the same as well now and in the future. 
What are the possible harms of not paying attention to this? I mean, there's so many other concerns in life. And as we're aging, a lot of concerns. Why is sexuality a priority? One of the main dangers is, I mean, research shows that having a healthy sexuality and that sexuality can be defined. It doesn't necessarily mean intercourse. Sexuality can mean whatever it means to you. I like an individual to define that for themselves. It improves immune functioning. If the more sexually active and more intimate connections that you have that improves your happiness levels, reduces anxiety. And for men, having healthy ejaculations can also prevent prostate cancer. It's just very important for an overall well-being for older adults. And it's also important to, to know that we are sexual from the day we are born until the day we die. Whether we choose to express that or how we choose to express that, that's up to the individual. But it's important to know that, especially when the older adults now are of the generation, I kind of said this before, they were pre-HIV and AIDS. So that was not a concern when they were growing up. And many of them think that it is just oh, now I can't get pregnant. I don't have to worry about anything else. And the HIV and AIDS rates for older adults 55 and over have increased double. So having that education and having people be educated who work with older adults as well so that they can have strong, healthy sexual lives is very, very important. Tell me, where can people find information about your work and about Widener University's Sexuality and Aging? So if you want to learn more about the Sexuality and Aging Consortium, you can go to www.sexualityandaging.com. And my blog and my therapy practice is called Shine, Sexual Health in a New Era. And you can find different, I like to do different subjects on sexuality, health, lifestyle, and you can find me at www.ourourshine.org. Thank you so much, Ashley. It was great to meet you, and thank you for your time today. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. For our Kegel break today, as we take a moment to squeeze and release our pelvic floor muscles, which is good for all sexes, by the way, the soothing and calming sound of the ocean waves rising and falling. News in the world of sex, seen through my prude glasses. I love a geeky toy, but alarming news in the world of sex toys. That the Wii Vibe couple device may be getting a little too interested in the happiness of its customers. The Wii Vibe allows partners, even remotely, to control vibration intensity for one another, which is fine. But since that data is going through their smartphones on an app that means that the manufacturer is getting that data too. And that means that hackers can too, which was no doubt gleefully proven by two hackers in a presentation at the DEF CON event recently. These hackers' names were Goldfisk and Follower. 
So aside from the creepiness of knowing that your vibrator techs are monitoring your body temperature and settings, there's the prospect of hackers joining your sexy times by controlling your device while you're using it. Unless that's what you're into. The Summer Olympics are over, but the Daily Beast site is still in trouble. In an article that has since been removed, a piece about gay sex and online hookup apps took a dark turn when unnamed athletes in the article were easily outed to great peril. Since same-sex orientation is not only illegal but life-threatening in some of the easily guessed at countries mentioned in the piece. Going to show that while the rules of international sports are generally understood across national lines, tolerance is not. In the category of headlines that aren't what they first appear, I read the title, Legal Challenge Against New Jersey Law Calling for Lesbians to First Have Sex with Men if They Want to Have Children, with great alarm. At first I, and perhaps you too, thought that the state of New Jersey felt that lesbians simply needed to try sex with men before settling down with a woman, just in case they didn't know what they were giving up. Which, in these strange times, could possibly be a nutty idea that a homophobic person might come up with. But this particular story refers to the unintended provision in defining infertility for insurance purposes, since infertile heterosexual couples are supposed to first try having so-called unprotected sex for a certain amount of time before being covered for fertility treatments, the same standard is being used for lesbian couples, except, well, the unprotected sex needs to be with people with testes, which lesbians rarely have. Awkward. In effect, this keeps same-sex couples from fertility treatments, and, I assume, couples with spinal cord injuries and erectile dysfunction. Only two states have laws specifically making this kind of discrimination unlawful, apparently. Would you give up sex in order to give blood? Jay Franzone has. As a gay man, he is not permitted to give blood due to rules dating from the 1980s, but recently revised so that you can give blood only if you're celibate for over a year. This was a rule that was particularly poignant and maddening after the mass murder in Orlando earlier this year, where a community in shock and mourning was not able to do that one thing to help. And the public was put on notice about a rule that too few people have questioned. Well, Mr. Frenzone, who is 21, has given up sex for a year, eight months and counting now, in order to give blood. And he's gone public about it as both protest and public attention to the rule. He's not alone in calling for the rule to be changed. And many, including some in Congress, have asked for FDA rule review in light of new HIV testing advances and understanding of risk. Franzone said, for me, I have friends who are always like, I want to go to the Himalayas or I want to climb Mount Everest, he said, and I want to give blood. What an amazing young man. So, <laughs> although I was tickled to receive at least two overtures for unvanilla sexual adventures while at Woodhall, both of which I humbly demurred, I was not invited to any sex parties. In fact, I did not realize until weeks afterwards that there was a Twitter hashtag, SFSAfterDark. So I want to share with you the funniest, the best, and the most interesting thing that I read about those parties. I posted it on the show notes for this episode at ourbetterhalf.net. It is a tweet that has 
a handwritten list of rules for a party. And along with admonitions about photography, no. Making assumptions, don't. And infractions that would merit being asked to leave, here is the best ever rule. Quote, Practice consent like your lesbian separatist gender studies professor is watching. It's a good life rule, actually. I am tickled now to offer you a special treat. A commercial. (laughs) Yes, on this podcast, a commercial is a present to you. I'm not getting paid for it. And I'm offering it because it pleases me. This podcast is part of the Swingset.fm network, a group of podcasts that are mostly about swinging, polyamory, and other ethical non-monogamy, and mostly younger people. But the Life on the Swing Set podcast community has an annual event that you, my intrepid friends, may want to look into. They're having their annual trip to the Desire Resort, and it sounds like a wicked good time. I won't be going as this shade of blushing doesn't do well in the Mexican sun. But I have met folks who will be there. They're lovely people. They loved the experience and are over 50, I might add. So check your inhibitions and check out the Swing Set Desire Takeover. Paradise. Naked people. All-inclusive drinks and food. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Life on the Swing Set is taking over Desire Resort and Spa in Cancun this November 5th through 12th. Desire is like sandals for swingers and other non-monogamous folks, a place that celebrates our sexuality and allows for the kind of bacchanals we truly love. Making our fifth trip a takeover means our already diverse, inclusive, and delightfully geeky group gets the run of the place. We control the music, the events, the theme nights, the orgies. And all will be focused on making this the best way to do Desire Resort and Spa. Whether you're a swinger, poly, a nudist, or just curious. So, come with us this November and book now, because less than 15 rooms remain. Head to ssdesire.com for more information. We'll see you in paradise. We'll see you in paradise. We'll see you in paradise. Next episode, meet a former divorce lawyer who decided she would rather bring people together than help them break up tell people, please go through our cabinets. It's like going into somebody's house and searching their bathroom cabinet. If you want to know what's in there, we want you to look. Now, old people, it's time to say goodbye. But remember, your orgasms are your own responsibility. Get some good orgasms on this week. Hey, this is Dan Savage from the Savage Lovecast and Savage Love, and you're listening to a Swing Set podcast at Swing Set FM.